turn to Acts chapter 9. As I was uh, preparing for this study, I was at the beach and had some alone time by myself there in the morning. And what we're about to read this morning is the conversion of Saul. Saul would later on become who we know as Paul, who would write so much of the New Testament and would go to just change the world through Jesus. But as I was uh, preparing and just studying the word, the idea of baptism continually just comes up in the book of Acts to be baptized. And that was something that we were blessed to experience yesterday is to make that public declaration in front of people, letting people know that we are committing ourselves to Christ, to God our Father. But we weren't always this way. There are times in our life when we stray. There are times in our life, in our previous life, when we didn't know God, when we were an enemy to the Lord, when we had aligned ourselves with this world. In our study this morning, we are going to see the man Saul and how terrible he was and how wicked and how murderous, yet God changed his life so dramatically that this man would go on to become a man of faith, a man full of the Spirit, a man full of signs and wonders. And we recognize that this happens in our own life, that we don't need to look at ourselves and look at our old life and feel condemned, but we can know that God's grace, that his power is able to fill us so that we can move forward. Previously, we were reading how Stephen, one of the disciples there, in, was taking care of, of the Hellenists, and then the, the Jews, the religious leaders, came against Stephen because he was preaching Christ. And they became so angry with him that they began to, to stone him. They put him on this, this trial before the elders there, and Stephen, full of wisdom, full of the Spirit, began to teach them in their word, began to take them back to the Old Testament and start to review their history of how many times that the religious leaders, they got it wrong, how they were making a relationship with God into a works system. And they were so angry with Stephen that they began to stone him. And the Bible tells us that as they stoned Stephen, Saul was there holding the coats of all the men who were stoning Stephen. So Saul was consenting of Stephen's death. But I believe at that time, when Saul heard Stephen's words of what Stephen was preaching, being that Saul knew the word, that he had studied the Old Testament very intensely, he began to see that there was truth in what Stephen was saying. And because of this, Saul 
began to have that conviction of the spirit, but he was fighting against it. And he was becoming so against what the spirit wanted to do that he hated Christians and he wanted them to be dead. He didn't want them to preach Christ. But still, this actually worked to the Christian's benefit because as Saul came against the church there, the disciples, they dispersed and they spread out in their region. And what this did was it got the gospel to spread out. So Saul, thinking that he was going to smash this fire of the Christians, was in fact flaming the, the flames. He was fanning the flames. Now, as we begin in Acts chapter 9, in verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So we see here, this is Saul's attack right now against the, the early church. It says that he was breathing threats and murders. Now that's a, an analogy, that that's his very breath was threatening and murderous to the Christians. You see, oftentimes a person gets to their worst state before being broken by the Lord. And that's what we were seeing with, with Saul right here. Is at this point, he is now on this rage, this fiery rage to kill the Christians. And he wanted to get this permission from the elders, the religious elders, so that when he comes to arrest the Christians, that he can show them the warrant and that there would be no one to stop him at that point. I do notice that in verse two, that it mentions that the believers were known as being of the way. Jesus Christ is the way. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And that's what the Christians were known by. And Saul is ensuring that these Christians are going to be brought to Jerusalem bound. Coincidentally enough, later on in the book of Acts, we're going to read how the Spirit will tell Paul, formerly Saul, that he is actually going to go to Jerusalem bound in chains. And Paul, at that point in his life, a, a believer, will not fight against these chains. But we look at verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So imagine Saul's on his way. He's like, okay, he has his plans. He knows what's going on of getting these letters. And as he's journeying with a group of men, suddenly this glorious light from heaven comes down. It's so bright that it causes him to fall. Maybe he was riding a donkey or something or a horse as he was there. and He falls off the horse and this bright light comes down. 
And as he falls to the ground, he hears the voice of the Lord call him. Not once, but twice. You see, when you say someone's name twice, it's because you're trying to get their attention. Saying, Saul, Saul. So he can wake up and realize, like, this is for me. This is directed towards me, this voice that I'm hearing. And what does the Lord ask Saul? He says, why are you persecuting me? Now, up until this time, we have not read that Saul came across Jesus and started to stone him or that Saul was crucifying Jesus. We haven't read that Saul physically did that. Yet Jesus, the Lord, states, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, Jesus, he aligns himself with the believers. He aligns himself with you, with the Christians so much that when somebody comes against you, Jesus takes it personally. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 42 through 45, we're going to read about how Jesus feels when one of his own is hurt. Beginning with verse 42, it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. You see, when people look over and forget about other humans. They forget about caring about them, about visiting them in prison, about clothing the sick. Jesus takes it personally. And also with that, when someone blesses another person, when someone blesses Jesus' children, Jesus also takes that personally. He says, when you clothed them, when you visited them in prison, you were clothing me, you were feeding me. So as Saul was attacking the believers, as he was consenting to Stephen's death, to the stoning of Stephen, Jesus shared in that suffering. We actually share in the suffering of Christ when we are persecuted. And persecution is coming. This is a, a very mild right now persecution of maybe some of our Christian liberties 
are being taken away at the moment. I find it interesting. Uh, I know John MacArthur, he's right now uh, possibly can get arrested for not closing his church. We're reading about that. How our, the Garcetti is threatening to turn off the water and the electricity for these buildings, these church buildings. But all the while, uh, Home Depot is full of people. The riots are full of people. But those are okay. But the spiritual things to this world are not. And what are we going to do when it gets worse? Say this, is, this ends, but a new thing comes. Where are we going to stand? Jesus taught us that when we stand on the rock, when we listen, when we hear, when we obey his word, when the storms come, we will not fall. And that's what Stephen was doing. As Saul was there consenting of Stephen's death, the Lord was with Stephen. But here, Saul, now being rebuked by the Lord, as Jesus tells him, why are you persecuting me? Look at verse five. And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Wow. So Jesus reveals himself. First of all, Saul recognizes right away. He says, who are you, Lord? He realizes that this is God who is stopping him on his way, stopping him on his tracks but he wants to know more about the God who just stopped him. So he says, who are you? And the Lord responds, I am Jesus. That's because Jesus is God. He is Lord. And Jesus tells him, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? Now the goad, that was what the farmers would use as they would prod their cows or their bulls as they were, tending their fields, and it would keep them walking in a straight line. And this goat, it was kind of a, a sharp and pointy stick that they would use to, to push the cow down a straight path. And it was to keep them on that path. And Jesus is saying, look it, isn't it hard for you to kick against what the Spirit is trying to do in your life, to keep you on that straight path? And you're trying to kick against it, but it's hard, isn't it, Saul? That's because Saul has been becoming convicted. He's been hearing the Holy Spirit speak to him and fighting it. Isn't that what we do sometimes? Where we try to drown out the Holy Spirit's conviction in our life. We try to justify our sin. We try to justify our selfishness of what we're doing. And we try to ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit. But because God loves us so much, he makes it hard for us to kick against the goats. He makes it hard for us to ignore Christ. You know, falling into sin and backsliding, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's easy to fall into sin, but it's also hard 
to walk away from the Lord. Because God loves you so much, he sometimes will put roadblocks in our way so that we stop from sinning. And we sometimes physically and spiritually, we have to move these roadblocks out of the way that God is putting there so that we can continue in sin because we're just fighting for it so much. We're striving after that, that sin. But I thank God that he puts those roadblocks in our way. I thank God when you have those interruptions in life where you're, you're just caught up in your sin and suddenly something happens where you, it has to snap you out of it and you have to get focused. We need to ask God to give us that integrity, that conviction of the Holy Spirit to be able to heed when we start to see the roadblocks that God is putting in our way. You know, Saul had his plans. He was saying, okay, I'm going to go to Damascus and I'm going to get these letters. And then God interrupts his plans. How do we respond when God interrupts our plans? Sometimes we, we think we know what God is doing. We think, okay, I'm doing this right now because what God is going to do in the future is this. And you have your eyes on that but you don't really understand and know and see what God is doing inside in the moment, in our lives. And then when God does something different, not what we had planned, we become frustrated. We become discontent. But we have to be able to, like Saul, begin to ask, okay, who are you, God? Who are you, Lord? and begin to submit ourselves, acknowledging the Holy Spirit, acknowledging Christ as Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. Look at verse six. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The, the Lord told him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So after Saul is asking the Lord, who are you? What do you want me to do? God gives him step one. He says, arise, go into the city. And oftentimes in our life, God is just gonna give us step by step. <clears throat> he might not give you the vision board with the end goal and all these step-by-step -step plans of how we're gonna get to where we need to go. Just like when God told Abraham, Abraham, leave your family to a country land that I'm going to take you to. And Abraham just went. He just took that step of faith. Sometimes we don't know what's ahead of us. We don't know the future. The Bible teaches us that when we talk about what we're going to do in the future, don't say that you're going to do such and such, but say, if the Lord wills, we will do such and such. Because that helps us to recognize that God's in control, not us. Now in verse seven, it says, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and with his eyes opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. 
And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So there's this miraculous voice that Saul heard, but the other guys, they didn't hear and understand uh, what the voice was saying. They heard the voice, but they didn't understand it. What I recognize in verses eight and nine is that once Saul was given the instruction of what he must do, once he recognized who God was and then was given the instruction, he became blind. So here we see a season in Saul's life of brokenness, of blindness. And not only that, but of fasting. Where Saul has been basically just hit the reset button on his life. This is a dramatic life change where suddenly he has these plans of what he's going to do. And don't get Saul so... uh, wrong that you're thinking that he doesn't think that he's doing God's work. Saul, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, thought he was right on with the Lord. He thought him and God were, he was probably thought he was one of the best Jews that there ever was. He was studying under this man named Gamaliel, who was a great teacher, and he could quote scripture. He had an excellent memory. He was also well-versed in both Greek and both Jewish culture. So he perhaps thought he was the man. And he believed that he was doing what the Lord was wanting him to do. He was zealous more than most of his Jewish brethren. But his motives and the truth that he believed was false. And now as he is being broken, he's entering into a season of solitude, into a season of just him and the Lord, where he's fasting, he cannot see, where God has stripped him away of his abilities. And sometimes God has to do that in our life. He has to take things away from us, get us back to that place where it's just you and him. In verse 10, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now, this man, Ananias, we recognize a few things to him. First of all, he has this this gift of having a vision. And that God calls his name once, not twice like he did Saul, but just once. And immediately Ananias says, here I am, Lord. So we recognize that this man, he knows God's voice. He fears the Lord and is ready to respond when God calls him. But then in verse 11, once God gives him the instruction, he's telling him to go to Saul. 
And he gives them quite unbelievable instructions at this point. You see, because Ananias knows of Saul. He knows that Saul is a terrorist to, towards the Christians. But he tells him still to go visit Saul. And also this, that he is going to give Saul his sight back. So first of all, that's like, imagine someone telling you that you are going to go to a terrorist, that you're going to pray over them, and then they're, they're going to receive their sight back. First of all, you're thinking, well, wait, this guy's a terrorist. And then second of all, you're thinking, is he really going to receive his sight back if he's blind? So God is putting him in a situation now where only God can do this work. And I love how in verse 12, Jesus had told Ananias that Saul had also received a vision that Ananias was going to be coming to him. Many times in the Bible and many times in our lives, we experience God working on both ends in a situation where you have one person praying about starting a project and uh, they have this vision and they're hoping that it works out, but they need help with it. And suddenly God puts it in another person's heart with that same mind, that same vision. And then when those two come together, suddenly they realize, wow, God was speaking to you on those verses. God was speaking to me on the same verses. And here we are, God putting us together. You see, a lot of times God will tell both parties his plan. And there will be a peace about it. It won't be uh, a division. Oftentimes the division comes when we allow the enemy to sneak in there and to put that in our hearts. But look at verse 13. It says, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So now we have Ananias' complaints and concerns, and they're all true. All his complaints and his concerns are true. So he's looking at this realistically and saying, wait, this guy's like a terrorist and you want me to go to him? I do notice that Ananias, though he tells the Lord the situation, he lays it out for God, which you don't really uh, need to tell the Lord everything about the situation. I think sometimes that's more for us to say, well, what about this? What about that? God already knows. He knows what he's doing. But Ananias never said, no, God, I'm not going to do that. Ananias simply was telling the Lord, look, this is, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. But he never said, Lord, I'm not going to do that. But God, knowing all things, wanted to comfort Ananias. So he tells him in the next, next verse, in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer 
for my name's sake. So the purpose right here is revealed. In verse 15, God reveals that he's going to use Saul, who will become Paul, for his own name's sake. That Paul would go on to preach to the Gentiles, to kings, to the Israelites. And then in verse 16, he states that he's going to show Paul how many things he must suffer for the name of Christ. Those who love the Lord, you guys are going to suffer much. There's going to be a lot of difficulties in the way. I was once reading about Tozer, A.W. Tozer, this great theologian, pastor. And one of his mentors had asked him, what do you want to be known for after you pass away? What do you want people to remember you by? And he told his mentor at the time, he said, I want people to know that I loved the Lord more than anyone else. And his mentor told him, wow, as noble as that legacy would be, understand that it comes with much suffering. Because those who love the Lord much will suffer much. We share in the sufferings of Christ. And the closer that we come to Christ, oftentimes the closer we come to his suffering. I'm not going to lie to anyone about the Christian walk and say that once you become a Christian, that things just get easier, that things in your life just automatically work out. No, we're still human, and we still have much suffering to go through. Our plans fail. Our dreams, our families, our our relationships, our work problems, all these things, they still exist in this nation. Being a Christian is not an easy road. That's why Jesus told his disciples, he said, look, wide and broad is the gate to hell. And many go there, but narrow is the way that leads to heaven. And this path that we're on, it's going to be a bumpy ride. But when you are abiding in Christ on this walk, when you allow his spirit to guide you, you fulfill your purpose. There's contentment in the purpose of God. There's freedom in the purpose of God. And through this, you wouldn't trade it for all the world has to offer because you know that the Lord is pleased when you obey him. And that's what Saul was going to find out. In verse 17, it says, and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. In verse 17, we see Ananias going, laying hands on Saul, praying for him just as God told him to, calling him his brother. And there's two things I noticed. There's the physical that Ananias is praying for, that Saul may receive his sight back. That's something that's physical. But then second, he prays and he asks that the Holy Spirit would fill Saul's life. You see, many times in scriptures, we see God dealing not only with the spiritual, but also the physical. Saul was physically blind. He could not see. And the Lord heals him. And then more important, the spiritual, he fills him with the Holy Spirit. I do notice also that there is a progression in Saul's life that we just read about. You see, first Saul was converted on the road to Damascus. He had an experience with Jesus Christ. He gave his life at that point. He began to become obedient to the Lord Jesus. So Saul was saved at that moment. Secondly, in verse 18, when Ananias visits him, Ananias prays over him that he would be filled with the Spirit. So first Saul got saved. Then he was filled with the Spirit. And lastly, again, at the end of verse 18, it says, and he, was a, he arose and was baptized. So we see this progression in Saul's life where first he's saved, then he's filled with the Spirit, and lastly he's baptized, making that public declaration, which some of you made yesterday. She saw was dead to himself now. His old ways he was putting away. He was removing himself from them. To die to self is a hard thing. Especially for Saul as he was so invested that his whole life was built on himself, his old self. This was a, a death that was spiritual. And finally at the end, uh, there's a season in Saul's life now where no longer is he fasting at this point. But in order that he might be strengthened to move forward, to go preach the word, he receives food. And the first thing that he does is he spends time with the disciples at Damascus. He has that fellowship. It's important that we fellowship with believers. Right now, uh, it's hard to gather together as Christians right now. It's very hard. But the Lord's testing us. In Hebrews, it, it teaches us not to forsake the gathering of the brethren. 
We need other believers in our life to keep us on track, to point us to the Lord. And we also need to do that for them, for our brothers and sisters. And that's what Saul's learning now. We're going to see the awesome things that God can do with a man who is broken, with a man who is humbled, with a man who previously was a murderer at heart, a man who breathed threats towards Christians. You know, oftentimes we think, man, how can God use me? I have all these flaws. I have all these failures in my life. How can God use me? But when you read the Bible and you see that God used a man who killed Christians, who was a terrorist to Christians, you realize that there's nothing too hard for God. That God can do great things when someone is fully committed to the Lord. May we be those people. This week, I encourage you every week to use the name of Jesus in conversation with people. Take time, and when God brings those divine appointments along your way, that homeless guy you see on the road day to day, the person who can't buy food at the market, who can't afford it as they're in line or as they go to the, the food place, whatever it is, McDonald's, and you realize somebody can't afford the food, remind them if you feel led to give to them. Remind them that it's because of Jesus, that Jesus loves them. And allow that divine appointment to be something that you pray for. God, what do you want to do with me today? How do you want to use me? Open the door, Lord. And may we be filled with his spirit, with his joy, with that baptism of the spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you, Father, for your love. We're humbled by it, Lord God, that you would use us, Father. May you just fill us with your spirit. May we go forth and be your vessel, Lord. I pray for all those here, Lord that you would help us, Lord God, to turn away from our old self, Lord God, every day. Renew us, Lord Jesus. Give us a heart, Lord God, that desires to be used by you. We love you, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
walls between us By the cross you came and broke them down You broke them down There were chains around us By your grace we are no longer bound No longer bound You called me out of the grave You called me into the light You called my name and then my heart came alive your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. What a love we found, death can't hold us down. We shout it out, we're alive, cause you're alive And what a love we found, death can't hold us down We shout it out, we're alive, cause you're alive Your love is greater, your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. this week. We'll see you on Wednesday night.